The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of the owner, staff, or management of this radio station. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's the Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNenny. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19, verse 14. Good evening and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny, and I'm thrilled to be with you today to offer homeschool insights and delights from our household, where God is present in my dark furniture that forever has a film of dust on it. The pollen is at a premium this week in London, so we're all feeling cranky again. Maybe it is the clouds. Each week, I entice an unsuspecting, hugely fascinating person to join me for part of the show. I offer intangibles like social media exposure. I would hand round plates of cake or biscuits and pour cups of tea if I was face-to-face. Honest, I would. But my fearless guest joins me anyway to talk about aspects of family life which usually relate to homeschooling and always speak straight to the heart of parents who place the responsibility of child-rearing above their highest joy. My guest today is Barbara Hayslip, a journalist who caught my eye with her article about entrepreneurs. So stay tuned to hear what she has to say. And on the home front, I'll be talking about an art show, obedience, how you learn and blood tests. So settle down and join me as I start my weekend off with a bang. And London is good for the arts and good for getting around. We went into the city, despite the rain, to see an exhibit at the Royal Academy of Arts in Piccadilly of George Bellows' work. It was his first retrospective to be held in the UK when Bellows died at the age of 42 from a burst appendix in 1925. He was considered one of the greatest artists in America. He painted New York City's gritty urban landscape, its technological marvels and the diversity of its inhabitants. Personally, I enjoyed the subject matter. His styles changed depending on what he was depicting, and I found that refreshing. I'd never heard of him before. Have you? And I was particularly fond of his boxing fight paintings, which were very masculine and physical and caused some raised eyebrows back in the day when boxing was illegal. His winter scenes of the snow were beautiful. He used blues to enhance the white, and he used bright coats and bonnets on the people to relieve the starkness of the snow. His seasonal views of the Hudson River were large and magnificent. One in particular had high banks of ice towering in the background. It almost made me shiver. Perhaps that was because the gallery was a bit chilly. Well, for me it was at least. And sometimes public places are nice and warm here in London, but other times they're cold. And this week Dortz has been knocked for six again by her cough and stuffed up nose. Just as she was getting better, she spent two days running around Chelsea Football Stadium in the rain and cold and got clogged with pollen. She enjoyed her experience on the field and was thrilled to bring home the uniform she wore, a football jersey, shorts and socks. You know she's underpacked big time when something as mundane and unfashionable as oversized soccer wear has her texting me with, Mum, we're allowed to keep the outfits. 
She spent a couple of nights sitting up in bed, coughing every few minutes, keeping the whole building awake. And she is miserable right now. She had to work over the bank holiday, which was just this past weekend, and dragged herself reluctantly to Covent Garden via any route that happened to be open. The trains run so randomly on holidays. She had to go to Blackfriars one morning. We followed her in later to take advantage of half-price frappuccinos and I was impressed by this fully renovated station set on the south bank. The tracks literally span the Thames. It was new and airy and light. I wonder if they're planning um, a kind of facelift, sorry, I wonder if they're planning any kind of facelift for Victoria Station anytime soon. It still looks the same as it did when my mom was a girl. I was sidetracked by this fox walking across my lawn and there are these two magpies stalking it. They're so brave it could just turn around and snap one of them in a flash but they don't care. They like to keep them away from their nests. Anyway, eventually Dort's got a doctor's appointment this morning with the doctor who dispenses antibiotics who reluctantly gave her a backup prescription and sent her to the hospital for a blood test to rule out anemia. So my blue-eyed cowboy, knight-errant to his daughter, walked with her to the hospital just down the road, which isn't really just down the road, but it is, if you catch my drift. It takes a brisk 15 minutes when you're healthy, which when you have a cough and a stuffy head stretches to 25 minutes or so. They got there and found a space filled with people waiting for blood tests. She took a number and was told the wait would be at least three hours to come back in two. Knight Errant asked the receptionist if it was always this busy and she said it was. A queue formed before the hospital opened and didn't let up until closing. It sounded so Soviet. And that's the second time I've used that expression this week. I used it in connection with the public transport system of electronically scanning our travel cards in and out of stations and on buses. Once, one day, one week, they shut off the scanners at the central control office and gave all travellers free journeys for the day. That centralisation sounds so Soviet, and that was the word I used then. We used it when I was young because Russia was a Soviet country. I suppose Americans may react to the word socialist in the same way. Anyway, back to blood tests. Our doctors don't have the facility to do any lab work in their offices. Can you imagine that? Only private doctors can, which is where we're going next. As Dortz rightfully stated, I have too many other things to do than to wait in a line all day for a blood test. My Texan and I looked at each other. Huh? So she's going to the private hospital up the road where we have to pay, but it only takes a minute. What a hassle. Please, no one wants organized or state-run medical care. The choices are taken out of the equation and you're at the mercy of the system, which here is a lumbering elephant that gets burdened down in the detail and routine. The British mentality, as far as the welfare system goes, seems to be one of obedience. Or is it that the health system is free and going private costs money, but it's quicker, more efficient? For example, for £50, Dorts will get a full blood test and the doctor will have it in the doctor's office that afternoon. If she goes national health, she'll get the full blood test free after several hours of waiting and the results will be sent to her doctor within 14 days. Most Brits choose to go with the free stuff and run around standing in queues and joining waiting lists and generally obeying the directions meted out to them by the national health system. Is it cultural, perhaps? 
not questioning things. I've been talking about the obedience of the nuns in my convent. They're stemmed from the promise of eternity, a free gift dearly given by our Saviour. I still have a niggling feeling that they were working their way to heaven the old-fashioned way. Good works won't get you there alone. Belief in Christ will, and the good works will be a natural expression of the gift of sanctification and eternity. Perhaps I was looking at their obedience as an exchange for salvation when I was a young girl trapped in a boarding school. I couldn't imagine anyone wanting to live the life of a nun voluntarily, let alone without complaint, obediently and almost happily. Last time I spoke about Sister Aloysius, the keeper of the front door. This week, another sweet nun that I'm going to tell you about was old Sister Ignatius. She was in charge of the infirmary. I visited this far-flung wing, tucked away up several flights of stairs and down creaky corridors several times during my six-year hiatus, primarily for vaccinations, unwelcome prerequisites for going home for the holidays in the Middle East or Southeast Asia. This woman was an angel. She had all the potent remedies and cures for young teenage sufferings, ranging from chapped lips to acne, stomach cramps to headaches. She was happy in her hideaway from the nun's quarters. She had her own cubicle situated where she could hear the moans and complaints of her patients, young and old. There were two large and airy rooms for the sick, and I was often a visitor, but one did not once manage to spend a night under sister's care. I was a healthy person, but there were times when I had a particularly exhausting cold. I would have liked to have spent a day or two in bed in the infirmary, nursed by this nun and her aides. A subconscious cry for my mother, I suppose. Her haven was for more serious illnesses, such as recurring malaria, which I didn't have, and childhood diseases like mumps, measles, chickenpox, or scarlet fever, which I'd had. However, when I was about 14, a whooping cough did make a sweep of the school and struck almost everyone myself included. As luck would have it, the infirmary couldn't accommodate a hundred patients, so our dormitories became the sick bays. The doctor would make his rounds daily, stethoscope in hand, pronouncing us better, worse, or the same. We enjoyed a week off from the classrooms and spent our time making beauty products from the creams and talcs we'd been sent to school with, or at least other girls had been sent to school with. Meals were delivered by the kitchen staff, nuns we rarely saw, to those who were bed-bound. Those of us who could get up did. We went downstairs to eat in a room closed off from the healthy rest of the school, a few in number. The uninfected pupils were in the minority, about 24 or so. I heard that they all met together in one classroom and spent their days reading, painting and playing outside. Not real school at all, typical. In this instance, I didn't feel set apart, although I was very ill. So was everyone else. Sister Ignatius showed her obedience to the Reverend Mother by living apart from her community in her cubicle in the infirmary. We didn't appreciate her sacrifice at the time, or perhaps it was a blessing for her. She was always there for us, and as a parent, I often remember her joyful selflessness and faithful administering. And the third angel in the order was Sister Bernard. She seemed always to have been at Thornton. Everyone knew old past and present knew her or had heard of her. The old girls never ran out of amusing tales about her, and I have some of my own. Her countenance remained the same, an ageless woman with smooth skin that was blemish-free. We'd wonder if it was lack of worry that kept her so young. Wrinkles avoided her, and she was as agile and boisterous as the youngest novice. She could run with the best of us on her home from home, the playing fields. She loved her sports and would furiously charge up and down the sidelines of the hockey or lacrosse game, 
stick in hand, shouting encouraging instructions to her players. Her skirts hiked up around her knees, showing us her muscular calves and trim ankles. Swathed in black, I hasten to add, she was formidable and took her jolly hockey sticks teams around the county to play competitively with other we had many sports trophies on display along the hallways and in the cloakroom. Sadly, I was not one of her shining athletes, but that didn't get me out of games every day with the other below-par girls. I was happy she didn't yell at us on the field as she did her prime teams, but I was the recipient of her wrath in another setting. But before I go there, she also organized sponsored walks, which I excelled in, so there was something outdoorsy that I liked. Sister Bernard was all things, and I'm off on my break now. I'll be back in just a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Second chances. We all deserve them, and we are all worthy of them. Second chances. With your host, Midge Noble. Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central on TogiNet is like coming home to warm, fresh-baked cookies, a hug from Grandma, or an enthusiastic greeting from your dog. Second Chances, hosted by Midge Noble, a licensed professional counselor, is affirming, warm, genuine, validating, and thought-provoking. Second Chances is a place to be heard, a place to laugh, a place to cry, and a place to be seen. For more on Midge and Second Chances, check out MidgeNobleSecondChances.com. Then be a part of a show that will change how you think, how you feel, and what you do. Give yourself the gift of second chances and see where it will take you. So take a deep breath, open your heart, open your mind, and join host Midge Noble for second chances. Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central on toginet.com. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Girasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward with tips, tools, and advice and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on Doginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. 
My guest this afternoon is Barbara Hayslip, a contributing writer for the Wall Street Journal's Small Business Report. Barbara covers a wide range of topics relevant to small businesses and startups that can be found at the Wall Street Journal link on my radio page. I first noticed an article written by her called How to Raise an Entrepreneur, which had been featured in a homeschooling magazine I subscribed to, and I thought... Hmm, homeschoolers are entrepreneurs in a way, if entrepreneurs are out-of-box thinkers. I want to talk to this lady. She holds a BA degree in English from Duke University and was a copy editor at the Wall Street Journal for over three decades and now works for Barron's Magazine, a financial weekly. When she's not working with words, Barbara is a teaching assistant at her local middle school. She and her husband have raised three boys who are employed and happy in their work. Barbara, welcome to my show. Thank you, Vivian, for having me. Hello, Barbara. Yes, hello. Thank, yes, thank hello. you for having me on your show. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, Barbara, let's talk um, a little bit about, um, well, you work a lot with words and you're a copy editor. Could you tell us a little bit um, what about what that means? Uh, yes, a copy editor uh, is supposed to represent uh, you, the reader, and if uh, a sentence doesn't make sense if something is puzzling. If you have to back up and reread a sentence, then the copy editor didn't do a good job. Okay, he so... She, he or she is supposed to make... You, you really shouldn't notice a copy editor's work unless they've um, missed something. Spelling, grammar, uh, whether a story makes sense, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So... Um, how do you do that? Do you read something out loud just to see if it's flowing properly? In your head, but uh, I don't. I'm usually reading it on the uh, computer screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you just read it in your head, and you can you can see whether it's going to flow properly. Do you do punctuation as well? Yes. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah. So, do you have to make a lot of changes sometimes? There are some writers that are really ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. You do make changes. You you may have questions. Something doesn't add up. Uh-huh. Maybe the the numbers may not add up in a story, or you just are wondering what exactly the reporter is is trying to say. Yeah. So you need to find that information and put it into the story. Yeah. Oh, so you have to go away and find out more information, or do you just ask the person that's written it? You go to the the reporter. Okay. The okay. So you go. Source. All right. All right. So by this time, that story has been bought and is going to be used, or is it sometimes so bad that you say, "Oh, this is this is not worth anything," and so we won't use it? Um, with a st- well, a story. By the time it gets to a copy editor, it, it first must go through several layers, through news editors, um, to, to first make the grade. So by the time uh-huh. it gets to a copy editor, it's already passed a okay. lot of those thresholds. Okay, so it's not up to you to decide whether or not the material is any good? No. 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 Okay, you We're just, at, the you other, just... at the other end of the editing process. Okay, so what you do is you make sure it's easy on the eye for the reader. And understandable. And understandable. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so do you get all sorts of articles? What about, what if there's something that you really don't know anything about? Can you still be a copy editor on that? 
I get, yes, I didn't know anything about business when I first started out at the journal, but uh, the journal wanted that to be the case um, because I was supposed to represent uh, the average reader, and if it didn't make sense to me, it wasn't going to make sense to the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, as a result, I got a, a interesting lesson in bonds and stocks and all kinds of uh, financial material. So it was quite uh, an experience, and, and I, I feel that I know about uh, mergers and acquisitions and, and things I really hadn't studied before. Well, that's fun, isn't it, when as an adult you suddenly find something else that you, can, you didn't know about and you, you, you learn as, a, as an adult. That's what we find as homeschooling mums, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, as I said in my introduction, I, I um, found an article on one of my um, homeschool newsletters that I get about um, how to raise an entrepreneur. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. It was actually talking, obviously, about a child because um, that's the best place to um, start nurturing this entrepreneurial um, skill or talent that they may have. And as I was reading um, your article, I realized that you had um, actually um, spoken to a few people who had been successful entrepreneurs and sort of got some tips from them. And um, some of those tips included um, a few points that were in this newsletter of mine, which I would like to um, highlight, I think, for my listeners, because there are some traits um, for entrepreneurs that... um, a psychological, and um, when we see them, we can actually nurture them in our children. I think we all have a, a few of these traits, so we, we all have the potential possibly of being an entrepreneur. Um, so I was, I was looking at um, traits uh, for entrepreneurs, and um, one of them is to be adventurous, and um, that sounds kind of a simple thing to encourage your child to be adventurous, but not all children are particularly adventurous. But I know you had three boys. Um, have, what, when you were raising them, how did you perhaps um, encourage them to overcome fears or overcome, um, oh, I don't know, a new thing? You know, so they kind of get stuck in their rut sometimes as children, don't they? I think boys are, at least I've only had experience raising boys. They have three boys, but they are very good at, uh, keeping themselves occupied. You can give them a stick and mud and they can be happy at some point in their life. So uh, they they are always out maybe making up games and they used to do um, hockey in, in the uh, driveway um, and somebody would be the goalie, somebody would be um, passing the uh, the hockey stick and the puck back and forth and they enjoyed that uh, they would entertain themselves a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and at an early age, boys are, well, and I've discovered girls are too, but I had two girls and two boys, and it was my boys that led the play. I mean, the girls would just, they, they, it was no fun. Playtime was no fun if the boys weren't involved because they, they just got all the ideas and the girls would just go along with them and rough and tumble with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. and... Not not frightened of um, getting dirty, not frightened of um, falling down. And I think today, 
I think a lot of parents are a little bit worried about children hurting themselves. And I just think back when I was a child. I mean, you know, when you were a child, did you have brothers when you were growing up? Yes, yes. Yes, and brothers, I mean... Yes. And, and that... I'm trees with the yes. swing sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I think sometimes that they try to make playgrounds such safe places because they're so worried about children getting hurt these days that children just aren't exposed to you know sort of well thought out risks you know shall I do that if I do that I might fall here but you know a lot of I don't know a lot of that has gone by the, the wayside and we're trying to be a little bit too protective of our children they need to get out there maybe and get some scratches yes. did your boys um, break anything <laughs> oh yes they, they've had their um gone to get a, a cut on, on their head, falling mm-hmm. up the step, walking up the steps, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had their, uh, their scratches and so on, but they were, they, they were pretty independent. I raised them pretty independently, and I, I also taught them about frugality, and that kind of stuck with them. Yes. So that, that's helped them out, uh, mm-hmm. and they... They were actually very easy to raise, so I've I've been very very lucky in that regard. So, so did any of them go on and um, start their own business? Um, my my youngest son is became um, an electrical engineer, and he is also loves musical composition and drums, and so mm-hmm. he is actually now um, work, working for a power company. Uh, in his field of study, electrical engineering, he's also working and doing some studying with the um, research department of the university from which he graduated. And he's also teaching drum lessons, and he's also doing gigs at the local college at different spots, that mm-hmm. whoever will hire him. So he, mm-hmm. we tried to teach our kids to be entrepreneurial um, and with would always talk about it. My my oldest son wanted to come up with an idea. What can I think of? And he was he was approaching it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But we always wanted them to think that way. And mm-hmm. our youngest son is doing that. Our oldest son is a teacher actually in in of math, and he he got the students at the school to start their own uh, just get a store going, go down to the local entrepreneurs and get them to sell their wares mm-hmm. at the school and connected um, the community with the students that way. So um, we just really in- encourage them to, to find what they like to do and to, and to explore, to, to try things out and, and see, see where it takes you. Mm-hmm. I know that... Um with with my children, you know, they always wanted the classic lemonade stand out by the side of the uh, by the side of the road. But um, you know, just just looking around and seeing a need and filling it, like um, my son loved animals, and so he would look after people's dogs in their homes from a very young age. I mean, we'd have to kind of supervise, make sure he was okay and, and all of that. But um, he he decided that he would do that. And he did just within his own little, you know, community of the theater, which was where we were, or at the animal shelter, which was where he volunteered. And, um, you know, he he just saw a need and decided that he was going to 
fill it. So um, we're getting ready. I know. And Barbara, we're getting ready just to go on a short break. So um, here we go. We'll be back in just a moment. How do you handle toddlers? T- it's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Here comes Motherhood Talk Radio, the most powerful voice in women's issues today, with Sandra Beck and Christy Holly. Tuesday evenings at 6, 5 Central, on Puggynet.com. Motherhood Talk Radio provides a powerful platform for women today by giving interesting, inspiring, and inspirational information to mothers around the globe as they navigate everything from child care to corporate formation. Motherhood Talk Radio will have best-selling authors, gurus of happiness, women of interest, who every single day make our world a better place for our families. Motherhood Talk Radio, powered by Motherhood Incorporated, is co-hosted by corporate executive Sandra Beck and stay-at-home mom Christy Holly. For more information on each and the show, go to MotherhoodTalkRadio.com. Mom, this really is your show. Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Christy Holly. Tuesday afternoons at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. The show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now, now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm back and I'm talking to uh, Barbara Hayslip and we're talking about encouraging our children to um, be creative thinkers and, um, you know, think outside the box as I think um, as homeschoolers we do. And um, Barbara, I was going to ask you, um, an entrepreneur, when I was growing up, an entrepreneur meant somebody who was maybe self-employed or had their own business. But today... I think it has um, a little bit more of a meaning than just that. Um, what did you find out when you were writing your article, you know, sort of what what um, an entrepreneur actually was? Uh, yes, entrepreneurs, I believe that our, our children um, are going to all have to be entrepreneurs in, in one regard or another. They may learn a lot at the job that they, they eventually, their career that they're in, but at some point, they might branch off later. And we're seeing the baby boomers um, now going into second careers and having mm-hmm. having to recreate themselves. So I, in, I think that it's very important for kids to think this way, to become an entrepreneur, to, to think about, well, what are their skills? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the professors that I interviewed had talked about developing your own quote-unquote asset base, which consists of, of what you know, what mm-hmm. you know and who you know, mm-hmm. and and being able to take those resources and build from them. I mean, mm-hmm. chances are you're not going to create something that you're totally unfamiliar with, but you're, you're starting to develop your interest and your passions, and so that's a starting point. And it's very important when you're an entrepreneur to to get going and and talk to your customers to act 
it's it's an action oriented skill. It's it's it's. I think that the days of the five year business plan are are not um, what's moving all of these businesses today. They're 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 pivoting. They're they're changing um, a lot. So you need to act quickly. You need to know what's happening in the marketplace and. Um, in, in order to survive, and you might see opportunities along the way, and, and you can help your children along that way as well. So, Barbara, you you um, teach, you're an assistant teacher in a middle school, and you also substitute teach. Do you see those kinds of skills um, um, manifesting themselves in the schools where you're working? Well, they're, they just started, actually, um, to require... Um, a, a business um, uh, class where you need to learn about credit cards, um, investing a little bit, um, and especially for students who are going to be going off to college so that mm-hmm. they can know how to manage money. And also mm-hmm. there's a little bit of entrepreneurship in, in the class. Mm-hmm. But, um, yes, I think that there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of interest in this at the college level and at the high school level. Mm-hmm. And it's it's important um, to get out there and and meet these entrepreneurs. There's a the journal has a um, expert. His name is uh, Steve Blank. He's been a, a serial entrepreneur, and he's he's been really active in trying to get um, students to be active in and understand what it's like to start a business. Mm-hmm. And it, it's uh, I can give you later the um, the website for that and, and how to to read about it. But he's he's encouraging he instead of you know a lot of a lot of schools might might say we'll make a craft their their idea of an entrepreneur class is um, you know make some crafts make some t-shirts and then sell them to the student body and and that's fine and good and that and that. That's nice to, to learn some lessons there, but he really wants you to go out and, and not have an entrepreneur in your local community come and give a speech about their business, but actually have students go out to your local communities, find some entrepreneurs there who would like you to help them with uh, a customer, what he calls a customer development process, where you're, you're going to help them find out and how to get more customers. And so mm-hmm. it, it helps them to see business, to see what it's like, to really get out of the classroom and to observe how these businesses are run and maybe come up with some ideas of their own. Mm-hmm. And that would be, I think, perfect for a homeschooler because you, mm-hmm. could, you, know, the, you, you could go to all of these uh, sites and ask to, to visit, to, mm-hmm. to see what businesses are doing in in and see them meet whatever they have to do to to advertise or to um, serve the product mm-hmm. be a learning mm-hmm. lesson so you know in turning with your local um, small businesses and entrepreneur groups you know a lot of these um, businesses are completely online I mean they're not even real places that you can visit anymore are they no that's true <laughs> But, I know, uh, <laughs> but there are a lot in, in in your own hometown. If you have a, I don't know what size 
town you're living in, but there are a lot of them that yeah. might even need some help. Uh, I have to admit that in my own hometown, I don't know all of the small businesses. I know mm-hmm. some, but mm-hmm. it, it could be an exper- a learning experience for your oh, yes. child. Yes, definitely. Well, here where I live, um, we have a high street and we're very proud of our high street and we support it. And we have lots of small vendors. And every time we see a shop close, we, we think, oh, I wonder who's going to move in or I wonder why they didn't do well, you know, and it's the community. The community really, really has to support. So we have we have community managers and we have um, days when everybody gathers at the weekend on a green and, you know, shares their wares and, you know, tell, you know, they're all local. It's maybe local produce, locally made, um, local pe- employing locals. And um, it takes a lot of work to keep your small businesses going, you know, community cooperation. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, we were talking, you were talking about um, building customer bases, and you said um, there's something in one of your articles about the, and not in, in that article, one of, one of the people that you interviewed, um, about the golden rule, you know, um, treat people the way you want to be treated yourself, and make sure you treat your customers the way you want to be treated as a customer. That is so important, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. That was Roger Reiney, who's the um, founder and CEO of Scott Trade, and mm-hmm. he said um, in my interview interviewing I did with him that he had a fairly normal upbringing in the fifties. He said his parents treated him as a person that was no better than any other person, and he had a, he had a degree of humility ingrained mm-hmm. in him. Mm-hmm. And uh, they but they and they gave him a pretty long leash in what he did which, again, I think goes back to what you were talking about. Maybe we're too too concerned about um, sheltering our kids from risk. But he said he fended for himself. My parents didn't push me to be a straight-A student, didn't push me to play Little League, but Mom did push me to go to Sunday school. And that's yeah. where he um, was encouraged by the golden rule, and he paid attention to that with his customers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's absolutely right. I mean, if if people like you, they're going to want to um, do business with you or help you, tell you how they, you know, made it work for them. And you know, you get to you get to um, you get to know a lot if you're a if you're a likable person. And uh, actually, my, my husband is like that. He does he does a lot of talking. You know, he he's very friendly and very um, you know sort of amenable and my children say oh dad talks a lot but you know people love him they remember him they always search him out you know oh yeah so you know that's an important thing to do um okay well um you talked about um you taught your um children how to be frugal and that's one of the things um that that the entrepreneurs say you know teach your children how to manage money and that is so important isn't it for our young people because in today's age it's kind of like you don't have to save for anything anymore there's that credit card out there you know you just have to have it now instant gratification so true (laughs) yeah yeah and and you said you taught your your um, boys that did they all take it to heart or did they go through little rough spots uh they 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 took it to heart. I think they they. I remember when they 
went off. Um, by the time they finished high school, Rick was saying something about we always would we'd eat dinner at home, and they discovered that all of their friends would eat out at um, restaurants a lot, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they felt pretty deprived. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, they they were fine with it, and now that they're grown, I, I'm seeing signs of it with them because they I don't know a couple of them two of them are married and I don't know how their their wives aren't necessarily thrilled but um uh-huh. that it's um it's it's serving them well so yeah yeah I know well my my kids we always had to we would let them eat out just once a week we'd go somewhere cheap you know like CC's or um you know Burger King or or some really cheap place as though it was something that they could look forward to at the end of the week, but they would have to share. Well, CC's was a was a buffet, and that that was that was fine. But you know, if they went to another restaurant, they would maybe have to share a you know a couple of meals, and they just did not like doing that. But they didn't complain because otherwise, the choice was well, we'll just eat at home. We won't go out at all. And uh, you know, but now you're, you're right. As they're getting older, and and my I've got one of my sons is married now, and you know he's having to put his foot down and say, you know, we want our own business. The money needs to go there, not here and i'm thinking oh boy yes <laughs> it's coming back to visit you <laughs> so well in the talking of restaurants that was one of the um ed, one of the things that was advised by arthur blank who's the co-founder of home depot um he was saying that or you know take your children to different restaurants outside mm-hmm. their comfort level mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and especially when you're on vacation and and that will help them uh, be exposed to different cultures and, and mm-hmm. just let them explore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and doing that and um, uh, having them experience changes, they don't have to be huge changes, you know, because we've all got children who only like certain foods and we would gradually, you know, sort of experiment with other things with them because my husband and I just ate, you know, we were very culturally diverse he's traveled all around the world and i'm i'm from england and we've traveled around too and um so we liked different kinds of foods and a couple of our children enjoyed different food and a couple of them didn't but you know they learned that sometimes you know if they kept on trying the same thing they would eventually acquire a taste for it you know so it sort of taught them that at first it might be frightening to have a new experience but you know, if you persevere and get used to it, it's not quite as intimidating. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. True. So, um, all right. So we're being an entrepreneur, and you know, back in the sixties, um, I was looking it up. An entrepreneur was a person with a high need for achievement. It was oh, all right. Well, we have a break. Can you come back for about five minutes, Barbara, on the other side? How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. 
Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the wind of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for Diane Jones, Monday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Oh, never have an ugly Christmas tree again. That's right. Get ready for the Christmas decorating experts, Becky McCraney and Kathy Harrison of Show Me Decorating, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. right here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Come feel the glitter and spend a little time listening to their exotic Texas drawl as they share their enthusiasm for Christmas decorating. Their passion, their big hair, big smiles, and excitement will motivate you to create magic in your own home with tons of how-to cheer. They know the tricks, the trade, and they have their sources. Check out the website showmedecorating.com Then be here Tuesday mornings to learn the scoop from the real designers, industry leaders, and guest artists. It's the Christmas Decorating Experts with Becky McRaney and Kathy Harrison of Show Me Decorating. Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Right, Barbara. So um, we've got we've got our children. We're raising our children, and um, you know when you go into business for yourself, or you come up with a great idea and it falls flat on its face, it's really difficult to get up and start again. It's much easier to go back to something that you know, or go work for somebody and do, you know, sort of a, a, a job that you really don't want to do. But you're just too frightened to keep going. What are some things that um, can help a child to get back up again and carry on? or, you know, be a leader? Well, the, it's important. Uh, failure is actually important to, to entrepreneurship. It's, it's, um, you should read them uh, a book about Thomas Edison. I mean, he mm. is, he's an inventor, has over a thousand patents, and uh, he's, he would look at failure as just, I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. You know, he, mm. he just picks himself up and keeps going. So uh, give, give them examples of, of people who have um, tried things and, and how many times they had to uh, mm-hmm. go through the, the hoops and, and finally succeed. Uh, mm-hmm. But failure and the same thing with in sports. And, you know, the, if you're on a team and your team loses, you've got to deal with loss and, and just work hard as a team to win and there's just a lot of it. how how someone handles um, setbacks is very important to their future success 
They have to. Uh, so I, I would not let um, a, a child feel that it's just it's just one little setback and that they're still going forward. Yeah, that's right. Just a little glitch along the way and, and you know, a way of learning from that because, yes. you know, sometimes we as adults, we have that um, wonderful gift of uh, being able to look back and see, wow, you know, if, I, if all that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be where I am today. You know, I learned valuable lessons, you know, by making mistakes. All right, Barbara, can you give us the... Um, you said you were going to give us a uh, website or a, a link to Steve Blank. Was that who you were going to well, do? Well, I, I can send that. I can get that for you. But he, okay, if, if you good. go to the journal website, the www.wsj.com, yeah. and you can look up uh, the small business. And whenever the small business report comes out, that's open to people who don't. You don't have to have a subscription for that. Um, there's also a Steve Blank is, is one of the accelerators, and uh, he's interesting because it would be interesting to, to click on what his thoughts mm-hmm. are. And mm-hmm. also a lot of the articles about entrepreneurship in general would be, would be interested. You, your listeners would be interested in, they might even read how some people, how they got started, what, yeah. how they thought of their, their particular company, and mm-hmm. it would inspire you um, to do it to yourself. Mm, mm. Yeah, well, it definitely sounds as though um, that is the future of the world today for our children. We will be doing them a great favor to um, help them discover the, these um, little the tricks and the, the um, tools to become an entrepreneur. And Barbara, um, we've come to the end of our time. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I've been talking to Barbara Hayslip, a contributing writer for the Wall Street Journal Small Business Report. And we talked about entrepreneurs and how to raise our children to become free and imaginative thinkers. You can read her articles and other articles at www.wsj.com, which stands for Wall Street Journal, where she covers a range of topics relevant to small business and startups. Um, Barbara was a copy editor at the Wall Street Journal, editing stories from the world, U.S. news, money and investing and marketplace sections of the newspaper. And she now works at Barron's Magazine, which is a financial weekly. And she's a teaching assistant at her local middle school. She and her husband have raised three boys who are happily employed. Barbara, thank you so much for joining me today. You have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Vivian. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. I love hearing success stories about businessmen and women who didn't do well in school. Part of a homeschooler's lot is deciding whether to attend college, and there are as many people who think it's worthwhile as there are who say it's not necessary. As for me, I say it depends on who you are, how you learn, and what you want from life. My conversation a few weeks ago with Maria Emma Willis revealed to us that, yes, indeed, it is possible to go through life as someone you are not. I'm not talking about the mask my priest harps on about, which we present to the world as family. You know, the contrived fake you, the one with no cat hairs on her black trousers or lipstick on her teeth, who never raises her voice or shoots a filthy look, has 
perfect children, yada, yada, yada. Nope, I'm talking about really and truly growing up believing you're someone you're not. Sounds like a good framework for a murder mystery, doesn't it? But honestly, Maria Emma said that many of us toddle through our lives under a cloud of identity misconception, a down-to-earth real mistake in who we are, not a mask we don to convince co-workers and the general public that we aren't who we are. You confused? Did you ever hear any of these myths when you were growing up? You have to be better than everyone else. You know, the soccer dad on the sidelines shouting directions or the theater mom pushing her child to sing louder. Be sweeter, make friends. Or you may have heard words like, you're ordinary, you don't stand a chance against all the competition. I was told, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And although that's a good maxim, it smacks of success as only being available to those who devote 100% of their time to a particular thing. And who can do that? What about good grades lead to success in life? I love disproving that one. Just because we didn't get good grades doesn't mean we won't be successful in some part of our lives. Some parents, in an effort to protect their children from disappointment, may adhere to the edict not to have high expectations or you don't always get what you want. And the older I grow, the more I see the wisdom in these two because so often life gets in the way. Our aspirations change and our expectations have to be modified to fit all kinds of challenges. But that doesn't mean that we have to lower our standards. Other things nab the limelight. Life shows up in unexpected ways. But hey, sometimes what you want may not be good for you. But no matter what, you should always have high expectations. I like this next one because it did apply to me a bit. You have to be a good reader and a good writer to get anywhere. Now, while I'm a good reader and writer, I have known people who can't do either very well, yet do wonders in a garden or on a stage or with art. For some children, it's their teachers who label them as troublemakers or their peers as the class clown. My brother was told he asked too many questions. I think my nine-year-old nephew does, but I don't share that revelation with him. Were you told you were a daydreamer or lazy or too quiet or too noisy? I was definitely chided for being too quiet, and I was. I hated crowds, didn't feel comfortable around a lot of people, whether I knew them or not. The sensory overload was too much for me. Plus, I didn't want to say or do something really gauche to unravel my self-esteem. Yep, I had one of at an early age. Today, I know that I was an introvert as a child. I've always needed solitude to refuel. Back then, I was just termed annoyingly quiet and painfully shy. I'm very comfortable today with silence, and as I grow older and more observant, I notice how many people are my children say I enjoy watching awkward moments of silence because I won't jump in there with a ready comment to fill the empty air. I sit quietly as other people wait for to open up and swallow them. It never does. You must have heard some of these myths when you were growing up, or even you may even say them yourself in an attempt to motivate your child. If we took the myth and ran with it, how can we undo the mistake the mistaken identity and discover our true selves. Maria Emma tells us in order to let go of who we have been expected to be and embrace our identities, we need to recognize several aspects that contribute to our personal success styles. You can find all this, by the way, on her website, Learning Success Institute. Some of these success aspects are disposition, modality, interests, and talents. And I'll do a couple 
them now because I've not got time to do all of them. Here's how to find out your disposition. Think, which of the following makes me say, yes, that's me. I wish I could spend most of my day doing that. Okay. Entertaining, moving around, doing, being sociable, being chatty, smiley, shining like a star as my barista daughter. Or is it managing, organizing, planning at your desk, computer or kitchen? more up your street. Is housework a chore or a chore? And what about filing or charting or designing or drawing up lists? Being in charge of the prayer chain or planning an outing for your co-op? How about researching? Do you like asking questions, trying out new ingredients in a favored cake or coming up with a new date way to dig up your garden without breaking your back? Is your cup of tea being engrossed in the detail? Digging around in ruins, remaking your wedding dress to fit your daughter. Perhaps you find people fascinating. You stop to talk to them on the street or at the checkout counter. You answer their questions on the train. You join in random conversations without even being asked. Can you feel others' pain? Do you pray for them, counsel and minister, give presentations and help pass on what you know? Do you enjoy sending cards or letters? Do you like calling out of the blue and keeping up with friends and far-flung family? Or are you a recluse at heart, preferring the essence of your days to be spent in study, in thinking, in the quiet rooms, along hedgerows and meadows, under trees or out beside the sea, can't encroach on your thoughts? Do you get lost in the words on a page or at the potter's wheel or making people paper shapes? What appealed to you? Are you quiet or rowdy, studious or adventurous, thoughtful or impulsive, organized or flexible? This is your disposition. And you know what? I have run right out of time. So I'm done rattling. I've got to go and work at the theater this evening. The children are doing Roald Dahl's The Witches, and it's a sold-out show, and it's the weekend. I'll be back same time, same place next week with more adventures from London. That's Fridays at noon in Texas or 6 o'clock here in Merio. Old, without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight. Our four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Tokenet Radio. My guest this week, Barbara Hayslip, and you, my faithful listeners. Take care and be If the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Doop, doop, doop. Doop, Okay. We'll record this separately. Thank you for joining us for the Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Tokyo.